Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted word of God from the throne of grace with Pastor Philip Branson Bello. Good evening. So good to be here in my second church. I love TSB. Um, the, the popular narrative that nobody can be perfect um, there is some sense of truth to that, especially when we compare our lives to God's law and everything that God um, wants from us, both in character and in motive. But I think the problem with that phrase is that it's gotten to a point where believers stop trying. And so our first defense when we are confronted with our weaknesses is, after all, nobody can be perfect. And so it becomes a crutch. When people point out something in you, rather than receiving correction and saying, I will strive for this, our first response becomes, well, after all, nobody is perfect. And so it's, it's limited um, the power of the spirit in us. Um, it's made us um, settle for characters and for habits that are not supposed to be normal. And so... We are playing into a cultural narrative of, and, and again, theologically speaking, we understand that there is justification. You're already perfect in Christ. Amen. That's a truth. You are already perfect. You can, ne- you cannot be any more perfect than you are right now in the eyes of God. That's what justified means. It means just as if I never sinned, and it also means just as if I always obeyed. So before God, the record of God right now, you are perfect. But then there is a sanctification process, which is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, I say that to say, those who are pursuing sanctification ought not to be saying things like, after all, nobody is perfect. Do you get my point? They ought to be saying, um, I press on toward the mark. Your confession ought to be, um, I'm not yet where I want to be, but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind so that the character of the believer is one that is saying there's jesus he is the standard and that's where i'm going okay so and then there's eventually glorification where we become um perfect not only spiritually but you know everything we no more tears no more anything but the character of sanctification which is what we're talking about transformation the character of sanctification is a spirit empowered and that's very important it's not a will, will, dogged, I, I will be good. That always fails. It's a spirit and part understanding that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. How can I then live a normal life? <laughs> you know, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So I can no longer use phrases like, you know... Um, I'm not perfect. Yeah, that's just the way I am. Believers should stop saying things like that's the way I was brought up. <laughs> um, if you meet my family, you understand why I'm the way I am. Um, it's in my blood. That is, you you are, you have new blood. You have a new spirit. Amen. You have a new identity. Yeah. And so, speak. The the whole narrative of scripture is become who you already are. Absolutely. So. In 1 Corinthians, Paul will say, you have the mind of Christ. But in Philippians, he will say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So you both have the mind of Christ, 
and you're still developing the mind of Christ. But you must always be saying, this is who I am in positionally in Christ. And I'm on my way to who I am. So don't let the devil say to you, this is who you always be. There's an anger problem in your family. You're a member of a new family. And in this family, anger is not in our character. Amen. So, so I, I think that's important. Yeah. Um, we're going to believe, uh, begin from Romans 12, right. which is one of the key scriptures of transformation. Romans 12, verse 2. Um, I particularly like the, uh, the message version that talks about fitting into cultures yeah. without thinking. I think we went through this um, um, before. So, Pastor uh, Dan, there's, there's this. What do you think about, I wrote this down here, and I said I would ask you so if you could shed more light on this. What do you think about transformation and renovation? Transformation and renovation. Okay, so both words, transformation and renovation, some people will say transformation versus reformation. They are both change, but they are different kinds of change. Renovation is essentially putting lipstick on a pig. Sorry, can you say that again? <laughs> Renovation or reformation is essentially putting lipstick on a pig. So you, you get this pig, you wow. perfume it, you put a nice dress on it, you put lipstick, and you expect that the pig will change. So... Now you've dressed up the pig, it's all dressed up on the outside, but it's messed up on the inside. So that's renovation, it's an outward change. You put makeup on the pig, you remove it from the dumpster, you know, you you put nice clothes on it. But what's going to happen the moment that pig sees pod? Come on, let's talk. Right, so there's a kind of change, it changed outwardly. Right, it, it it was no longer dirty. You took a bath, you put lipstick, you put perfume, and there was a change, but it was only an outward change. So when we speak of renovation, when we speak of reformation, it's an outside change. It's it's essentially what religion tries to do. Um, yeah, religion tries to change your dressing and change yeah. your the way you talk. Oh, bless you, sister. Yeah. You know, religion, um, religion. It's the Old Testament. God gave them a law. And for a while they will follow. But as soon as they saw other idols, their hearts will yearn after other idols. So it's an outward change. It's, it's um, outward. It's just essentially trying to change the outside in order to change the inside. Mm. That's, that's the reformation. Mm. And unfortunately, for many of us, that's how we approach change. You know, I will, I will stop doing this. Um, I will change my clothes. And, and there's a place for that. Yeah. But reformation or renovation is always short-lived. Exactly. Imagine, exactly. for instance, that a house is falling apart. Most times, if a house is falling apart, the problem is from the foundation. It's, it's folly to just go and paint the house. Do you see my point? Yeah. The foundation is, is shaky. And you're more concerned about how it looks. So that's the thing about renovation or reformation. It, it's more, it ignores the heart. It deals more with outward change. It deals more with compliance. Where there is no heart motive. Where there is no inward reality. 
it's just an outward appearance. So that that means we can. This is very key because there are a lot of people that um, are going through some pseudo kind of transformation, right? But it's not really transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the reason why I say so is there is a default return mm-hmm. back to who they used to be whenever there is pressure. Mm-hmm. So somehow pressure, you know, I hear people say, you pressured me to do this. Mm. But you see, pressure doesn't bring out what is not there. Mm. So <laughs> um, so when there is an outward appearance of a kind of change, mm. but not necessarily inward, pressure reveals it, mm. right? So is it is it safe to say that there are some people who go through... Um, um, Renovation, as we're saying, right, and not transformation, right. I, even I, in even in church. Oh I mean, yeah, because we we keep hearing the word, we keep hearing scriptures, and yeah, yeah. I think that we go through cycles, okay, of renovation. Oh, please explain that. So we hear a word, okay, right. It says stop doing this, and we we decide to stop doing it, okay. and for two days or three days, okay, we're successful. Okay. But because it is an outward thing, after a while the cracks begin to show. Okay. And then we crumble. And then we hear another word again and we say, I'm making up my mind, I'm deciding, I won't do this again. And then for a while we do and so it's it's a cycle of renovation. So sometimes the the intention of the heart that really wants to change does not mean there is capacity to change actually. Right. So I th- I'm thinking that this is a situation where you have um, someone who 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 has a desire to be something but doesn't have a revelation of it. Hmm. Because it is only revelation right. that brings an actual change. Hmm. Only revelation. Hmm. So, and, and that's the reason why the place of the the work of the spirit. Right. Why we read the scripture. Uh, uh, beholding us in the mirror of the glory of God, Amen. we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory right. uh, as by the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. So when we keep focusing on, on the Word, there is the place of the Spirit that brings revelation. The right. Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our mm-hmm. hearts mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So I think there is that place of revelation. Right. Uh, Pastor Dan, what do you think what do you think are the inducers when, when I mean inducers, what do you think are the inducers of pseudo transformation or renovation? Mm. I think, especially in church circles, okay. fear. Okay, okay, is okay. one. Okay, um, if you grow up in okay. a religious environment, okay, where you're threatened, you know, if you don't change, God is going to punish you. The truth about it is, fear does motivate, mm. but. <laughs> Love is a much more powerful motivation than fear. That's true. And when I, when, I mean, if you have children or if you've been a child, your parents warn you. Yeah. If I come back and this room is still dirty, you will see what I'll do to you. You will clean the room. It doesn't mean you wanted to clean the room. Right. right. <laughs> if you're left on your own without parental supervision, yeah. the room is going to remain dirty. So it looked on the outside that, you know, something changed. Like my dad tells a story of a boy who was told to kneel down. He says, I'm kneeling down, but in my heart, I'm standing up. 
<laughs> and, and that's many of our attempts to, to please God. I'm reading this Bible, but in my heart, I'm watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> I don't like that I'm here. I don't want to be here. But I've been told that if I don't read my Bible, God won't love me. So fear does motivate. You know, fear motivates. Can I, can I bring this home by saying that, especially when we serve in church uh, uh, circle and um, the fear of discipline... And this is for my leaders now. <laughs> the fear of the fact that you've been told to be in church early, you've been told to do your responsibility and stuff. Uh, the, the fear of of this kid. <laughs> Can you probably take them at uh, just behind the door so that they can have fun? Because I think we are the ones disturbing them. Right. They are not the ones disturbing us. So, uh, Pastor Paul, can you please get them just behind the door? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, I think it will be a false motivation for all of us to be in the place of service because the pastor said it. Mm. Or because there is the fear of discipline if you're not responsible in your area of service, rather than a motivation of love. Mm. To wanting to do what you are called to do and the passion that is in. So when Pastor Dan is talking about fear, that's how we bring it home. We relate to the place where um, we, we relate it to how we serve in church, and we, we, we don't we don't serve motivated by fear. Mm. You know, um, there are some instructions that my father gave me many years ago. I keep those I keep to those instructions up till today, but not motivated by fear anymore. Mm but motivated by the why. So I think fear takes you away from the why. Right. Let me say that God has always wanted the intimacy of sons, not just the service of slaves. Mm. Sorry, say that again, man of God. God has all... I mean, I I think I'm being gender specific. God has always wanted the intimacy of children and, and not the service of slaves. And even when we serve God, we serve as children. Do you see my point? We don't serve as slaves. The law threatens, grace teaches. Titus 2.11, the grace of God has appeared. Teaching, teaching. The law threatens. It's a um, um, fear-based attempt to change. And if you look at Israel's history, God does something great or somebody... The the ground opens and somebody dies and for, for two days all the Israelites are holy. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> the ground can open on me. Of course, I'm going to obey. But what always happens is after a few days, you know, because fear, fear. I mean, how many of you saw those Left Behind movies? In the first three days after watching Left Behind, oh my gosh, you you are afraid, and you are. Of course, you prayed. Of course you gave. Of course you tried to treat everybody well. But how long? See, that's the thing about renovation. Mm. It's never long. Mm. It's, it's just for a while. So, so. can I say this, mm. that um, um, it is possible to appear to doing the right thing without a solid foundation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very possible to appear mm. 
to doing the right thing without a solid foundation because fear for example is is a wrong motivation to do anything right you know this is this is so profound i mean um my prayer for for all please guys if you have questions i want you to throw your questions um Let's feel free to have conversations. If you have questions, you can just wave, right. and we're going to take your questions. You know, um, um, can you please talk to us about identity crisis? Because um, um, I feel that when people don't know who they are in Christ, uh, there is that limitation to the transformative process because there is the trying to be what you are not mm. because of an identity crisis. Can you just shed more light? Yeah, I, I, I think that's important because one of the things that causes transformation, and I think you're brilliant in breaking this series into, first of all, identity. Oh, thank you, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and then transformation. Like I said before, Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. Yeah. Then he says, let this mind be in you. you. Or Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. He says, let your light so shine. Mm -hmm. It is not let your light so shine so that you can become the light of the world, mm -hmm. but that you are the light of the world. Yeah. Therefore, um, I think it's Ephesians 5, 8 or 6, uh, you, are, um, you are once darkness. Mm. Now are you light. Yeah. Live as light. That's light right. Ephesians 5, 8. I, I think I want everybody to see this. Okay. I think it's Ephesians 5. Oh, um, um, NIV, please. That's Pastor Dan's right translation. NIV. For you are once darkness, yeah. but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Absolutely. So, like I said before, Christianity is about becoming who you are. This is who you already are. Therefore, become. And this is how we are transformed. Um, Romans 12 says, In view of the mercy of God, Yes, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, all of that. Yeah. And we often read that Romans 12.1 and think that he's talking about a new thing when he gets to Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, mm. but be a transformed. Mm. But it's, it's still the same thing. The same way that our worship is a response to his mercy, in view of the mercy of God, mm -hmm. present your bodies. It's the same way that even transformation is a response to the mercies of God. Oh, wow. Am I making sense? I see that. That is all that. of that. Everything that Paul writes after Romans 12.1 is a response to the mercies of God. So our worship, the presenting of our bodies, it's in view of the mercy of God. Um, our transformation. So transformation is what happens when you keep the mercies of God in view. It starts with identity. Yes, sir. I am, therefore I do. So... Going back to this difference between renovation and... Um, um, if I were to start to act like a dog right now, go on my um, fours and begin to pant, I will only be acting like a dog. Yeah. Right? Mm. And so when we're trying to renovate, that's why many of us act things that we are not. Mm. We are trying to be something. It's like me trying to be a dog. A dog is a dog naturally. You don't have to teach it how to bark. Mm. It just does that because that is its identity, right? Yeah. So a firm understanding of who we are in Christ is what births transformation. Yes, sir. A firm understanding of how much we are loved. A firm understanding. There's one more scripture I want to show you. Um, 
It is First Corinthians five, and I think yeah. it's First Corinthians five eight. Okay, um, go back. Maybe I think seven. Let's see. One more. Go back. One more. Oh, yeah. This is it. Yes, this is it. Yes. Okay. Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you. <laughs> so he says, get rid. He's talking about this is where there was a man who was sleeping with his. Um, fathers in the church and then church can be messy so he's sleeping with his father's wife and these people were so grace oriented that they were saying you know we were proud of our grace that we just kept him in the church and Paul was saying well there's a place in grace for discipline so yeah. send this guy out of the church for a while yeah. so that he doesn't spoil the whole batch anyway but he says this that get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are so when we say be ye transformed, we're not asking you to become something that you're not. You're not. We're just saying act like who you are. Have you seen fathers who say to them, like my dad would say, you're an adult, we don't act like that. Mm. <laughs> That's essentially what identity does for you. You're a son of God. You don't talk like that. Yeah. You know. Can G- can imagine Jesus just getting angry, your father. <laughs> imagine, imagine the Apostle Paul just throwing out the F bomb. <laughs> you know, so it's essentially an understanding of the family values. So, man of God, what do you do when you catch yourself? Being who, sorry, not being. Right. Being is, yes. Being is for identity. What do you do when you catch yourself acting? acting? See, I love Jesus. Yeah. So, James and John, they go to Samaria, right? Right. And they turn them away. And they say to Jesus, call down fire to burn these people. Mm. And instead of Jesus saying, what's wrong with you? He says, you do not know what manner of spirit is in you. Yes. So, the way to correct yourself is, ah. Don't you know, Daniel, what manner of spirit, spirit. is in you? Amen. Amen. First Corinthians. I mean, that church is a messed up church. Oh, yeah. Oh, the yeah. church in Corinth. Very gifted. Oh, my. Very gifted, but, but indisciplined. Yeah. It's in that church that a man is sleeping with his um, father's, father's wife. wife. It's in that church that they are suing one another. Yeah. You know, it's a messed up getting, church. Getting drunk. Getting from drunk communion. from communion. It's like, yeah. it's like hey. <laughs> You know, there's a lot going on in that church. Absolutely. Yet, all through First Corinthians, Paul keeps saying, don't you know that your body is the temple, the of, temple the Lord? of the Lord? Don't you know that you are united with Christ? So sometimes you have to look at yourself in the mirror. And rather than mope in guilt and say, oh, you messed up again. Or, you know, it's like, no, don't you know who you are? Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation celebrates the issue. Conviction goes to the, to the, to the source of the solution. Sorry, so, so that's too fast. Mm-hmm. Say that again. Condemnation celebrates the issue. Conviction goes to the source of the solution. What do you mean when you say celebrating the issue? It keeps on brooding over what I've done wrong. Mm. The spotlight, thank you. The spotlight is on what I've done wrong. Mm. And you know, interestingly, yeah. condemnation leads to more sin. Because sometimes you're like, well, I've done it. <laughs> 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 I don't already do one. <laughs> <laughs> and 
to be going back to God again. And this is number 455 God. It's me again. Jim <laughs> Forgive me, O Lord. It's me again. <laughs> you know. So, so Jesus says to them, listen guys, if you knew, so it's, you see, identity is a knowledge issue. Pastor it's a Phil. knowledge thing, yeah. If yeah. we know the manner of spirit that's in us, yeah. so we have to always remind ourselves, the spirit of God lives in me, yeah. I have the character of Christ, I have the very nature of Christ, and therefore I act out who I am. Mm. Interestingly, on Wednesday when I was teaching, I said, um, there are times where you have your thoughts you have your emotions and mm. then you have your actions mm. because your emotions are a function of your thinking. Mm. People come to church depressed, but when they hear me speak, mm. at the end of the service they feel better because I have filled their thoughts with words and their emotions change. Mm. Yeah, and then they begin to act differently. But the unfortunate thing is, how do I persistently take this atmosphere with me? Mm. So I now need to become my teacher. Mm. I now need to be able to speak to myself. Mm. Because the Bible says, and David encouraged himself yeah. in the yeah. Lord. When there is no pastor feel, when there is no mm. pastor Dan, pastor Come ideal, on. to speak to you, mm. you must be able to reiterate, the, you, you must be able to regurgitate the word mm. back to yourself <laughs> and form your atmosphere. Mm. You know, so... Interestingly, I was saying on Wednesday how that you have your thoughts, your emotions, and then your actions. That's the natural order. But for the believer, the renewed mind, he has his thoughts, his emotions. Then he has to scan all that through God's thoughts. And then he, he acts. After that. You said something about two different narratives. Yeah, yeah. Can we shed more light on that? Okay. I heard so you say that in the beginning, yeah. In Romans twelve two, I, let's do the NIV please. Um <laughs> he likes the NIV so much. The message version is a bit too um Hollywood <laughs> Hollywood for me. <laughs> so so Paul says do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Paul, Paul leaves us two options. It is either we are being conformed to the pattern of this world or the cultural narrative or we are being renewed in our minds. So, so There's no middle ground? No. There's, so John Piper says there's no neutral in the gearbox of Christianity. Wow. <laughs> That's why I like John Piper. That's why I like John Piper. I love John Piper. He says there's no neutral in the gearbox of Christianity. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So, so Paul says, it's either you're conforming to the pattern of this world or you're being transformed. There is a cultural narrative. We all live... And Sorry, the first one is cultural narrative. Cultural narrative. And the second is... Is the Christ narrative. Christ narrative. Okay. I think we should pick that. The first is the cultural narrative and then the second is the Christ narrative. Yeah. We, we live in a culture that is always telling us different messages. And if you're unaware of this, you will imbibe the cultural narrative yeah. and think it's normal. Mm. You know, you believe... Um, and I mean, I, let me just say this first. I'm not one of those people who says, don't watch TV. I'm going to be honest and say, before I came, I wasn't praying. I was watching Game of Thrones, okay? So, just to let Hallelujah. you know... <laughs> just to let you know that I'm going to say certain things that I don't want you to 
be religious in your mind and say, oh, we can't watch TV anymore or we can't listen to music anymore. I, I need to say that just to say, but there's a message in every movie that you watch. There's a, there's a cultural narrative on social media. Very deliberate. Very, yeah, and it's Very. preaching a sermon. Yeah. And day in, day out, the believer in Christ is interfacing with these movies, interfacing with social media, interfacing with the cultural narrative. And if you do not know, you will be imbibing this culture, just thinking that's the way it is. So Paul says, it's either you are conforming to the pattern of this world, or you are actively being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And just by showing us this, he teaches us that there is a difference between the Christ narrative and the cultural narrative. The culture is saying certain things, and Christ is saying certain things. And the believer who does not know this is just imbibing the cultural narrative, thinking this is how it rolls, this is how life is supposed to be. You know, there are phrases like, God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. It's, not. it's a cultural narrative. Yeah. But many of us say it. In reality, God helps those who know they can't help themselves. <laughs> you know, so the, the message of scripture is so opposed to the cultural narrative. And if this is news to you, it probably means that the cultural narrative is your norm. What's the cultural narrative of leadership? Oh, uh, the idea of a leader that the, the world gives us. Yes, I, I, think I'm, I think I'm trying to, I think what I have in my mind is what you're about to say, but speak first. <laughs> I mean, all, all you have to see is look at Nigeria. The idea of leadership is how can I use these people to further my own uh, agenda? That's the, that's the leadership narrative of the, of the culture. Yeah. You know, the culture is teaching us um, the leader's job is to stay ahead of everyone and make sure everyone is under them. Yeah. There's a kind of, I'm ahead of you and you're behind me. There's a kind of, I'm going to use you for my purposes. There's a kind of, um, you know, it's like the kings. When, when Israel wanted a king, God told them, be careful what you ask for. This king is going to turn your daughters into slaves and your sons, you know. You know so that there's only one king who dies for his subjects, mm. and that's Jesus. Mm. 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 So, uh, that's what I had in my mind. Mm. <laughs> The cultural narrative doesn't emphasize on servant leadership. No, no. At all. And and then you see Jesus. And that scripture is so amazing to me. I think it's John 13. It says that Jesus, knowing where he came from, that he came from God, that he was going back to God, Mm. um, that he had all of God in him, got down on his knees and washed the feet of the disciples. It, it always messes with me because it's Jesus knowing who he was, where he came from, where he was going to. I expected to say that Jesus knowing who he was, mm. where he came from and where he was going to, sat down and said, wash my feet. Mm. Mm. But he was so secure in his identity that he understood, I can go down wow. <laughs> and wash their feet. Wow. And it takes... So really, Pastor Phil, yeah. C.S. Lewis says that humility... Is not thinking less of yourself. Yes, sir. It's thinking of yourself less. Ooh. So it's Sorry, not. Say that again, okay. man of God. Say that again. It says 
Humility yes, is not thinking less of yourself. Yes, sir. It's thinking of yourself less. less. Wow. So it's not low self-esteem. Yeah. It's an other-centeredness. Oh, wow. And it takes a secure person. Yeah. It takes a secure person to serve. Because I understand, Pastor Phil, that if I kneel down before you, it doesn't change my identity. Yes, sir. I, I have this thing where by default I greet people and I bow. Yeah. I don't... It, it just happens. Like... Yeah. I just do it. Like, I'm like, hey. And someone saw me and said, ah, can you be bowing? Yeah. Don't you know that? And I said, my guy, whether I bow, whether I know bow. You're still pastor. <laughs> exactly. You know, so, um, servant leadership, it actually takes a secure leader yeah. to serve. This is very key because uh, I have seen many leaders, many pastors who are willing to preach to the people. That um, you must make sure you pay your tithes, you give your offerings, mm. you must make sure you give, but they are not willing to give authority. Mm. They are not willing to share authority and power. Mm. So you see pastors who are trying to be very, um, you know, um, they micromanage, mm. so to speak, or leaders, let's say leaders, they micromanage. And they make make sure that they are the center of the attraction. That's mm. not the order in this house, mm. you know. And I think it's necessary that we grow up with a mindset. That's that's what Scripture says. Let this mind be, be in, in you, you, which was also in, in Christ, Christ Jesus. Jesus. What is the subject saying or talking about? Humility. It's talking about humility. That's right. The world doesn't teach you to be humble Mm-mm. to climb up. Mm-mm. The world teaches you the forty-eight laws of power. <laughs> That you have to be strong, you have to sound scary, Mm. you have to intimidate your followers Mm. for them, for you to buy respect from them. But that's not, that's not the biblical way of leadership. The biblical way of leadership is how Jesus came. He came in the manger. He was humble. Mm. And so, I mean, we must learn, we must understand the cultures of scripture. Mm. And even the culture, what, what's your, what's your narrative of What's the Christ narrative of relationships? That's believers dealing with one another, each, you know, one man to one man, one mm. woman to, you know. What's your narrative of relationships as opposed to the cultural narrative of relationship? Um, th- this is very multifaceted, but I think that one of the things that our culture says to us is seek relationships for how it can benefit you. Mm. So, I, I, I say that our generation grew up on books on networking, but not friendship. <laughs> so, it's like, you know, I meet somebody and I think, ah, how can this guy help me? And so I align myself with the rich and the powerful, but I never align myself with the weak. With the weak. But when Jesus comes, he doesn't go straight to the palace. Mm. He goes to the fishermen. Mm. He goes to the shepherd. It, it, wow. the, the, it's a good place to clap, mm. guys. Wow. Wow. The the whole Jesus is so revolutionary. If you understand the yeah. culture in which he came, yeah. the fact that the first announcement of Jesus's birth was meet the shepherds is amazing. Yeah. If you read the Old Testament, when when Joseph's brothers came to see him, mm-hmm. they could not eat on the same table as the Egyptians. In that whole ancient Near Eastern culture, shepherding was seen as a it was dirty. 
they were ceremonially unclean, um, you know, they dealt with dung, you know, so even gives you, when the Lord says, the Lord is my shepherd, mm. <laughs> that the oh. fact that, that God aligns himself with shepherding in that wow. culture. My mess. Yes. Oh, man. Shepherds were not celebrated. And so the first person the angel goes to is not to the palace, but to the shepherds. Wow. Jesus hangs around, you know, the tax collectors. Tax collectors were not celebrated. Mm. He hangs around. Jesus deliberately seeks out the outcasts. Yes. But the way our culture is training us is saying, look for people who can help you. Essentially, we're all friends with benefits. <laughs> so, so Jesus, friendship has never been a case, in, in scripturally speaking. I am not supposed to enter into relationships, Pastor Phil, for what I can get. But my yeah. mindset is supposed to be, how can I add value yes. to this person's life? Can we please change the narrative in this house? Amen. That you are not in relationship. When I mean relationship, I don't mean boyfriend, girlfriend, mm. please. Please. I mean, you are not in relationship or conversation with anyone first for what you can get. Mm. But you are there to add mm. to who the person is. Can we change the narrative yeah. in this house? I mean, think about Jesus. His coming was for us. Mm. His dying was for us. Yeah. And even right now, the Bible says he seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession mm. for us. Jesus is radical, radically other-centered. He's always thinking about other people. I want to ask a very troublesome question. Go ahead. Did you think Jesus had cliques? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. In fact, you remember when, uh, there's that time when John runs up to Jesus and says, I saw, I saw that guy, and so he was... Before you continue, yes. there's a reason why I said this. Okay. I hear people say, he's not my type. Hmm. She's not my type. So we don't, we don't, Huh? We don't roll. Mm. Right? That's a world culture. Mm. That's not God culture. Gospel culture. Right. So. Um, remember when they came to Jesus and said, We saw some guys prophesying your name and they're not part of our group. And Jesus goes, Anybody who is not against me mm-hmm. is for me. Mm. Jesus is like you. Mm. He doesn't have only one best friend. <laughs> 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 no, rather you're like Jesus. <laughs> no, no, but honestly, when you read the Old Testament, you get the sense that there's the the Jews are the prime of God's work, and it's right. only a Jewish thing. But if you understand what is happening, the Jews were meant to be God's witness to the rest of the world. Absolutely, and they failed at that. Yeah. Which is why Christ is the true Israel. Yeah. Which is why he goes through his own 40 days in the wilderness to, um, as a representation of their 40 years. Um, yeah, so Jesus comes as the true Israel, which is why he goes to Egypt. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Mm. Jesus must relieve everything that Egypt failed to do. Mm. But the, the, the real thing is that the whole idea of God was always to have people from every nation, every tribe, every gender, so, and one of the places where we see this is the genealogy of Christ. Mm. You know, Matthew was written to to Jews to show them that Jesus is not just the Jewish Messiah. Yeah. He is also the Gentile Messiah. Yeah. So, from his genealogy, Matthew is messing with Jewish theology. Yes, yes, that's true. Deliberately. That's true. He puts the name of 
Ruth, the Moabite, in the genealogy of the Messiah. Now, if you read the Old Testament, Moabites were those people who were never, the Israelites were told, never marry a Moabite. But, but, But Matthew puts Ruth in there. He puts Rahab. She was not a Jew. You know, so he's deliberately saying, in your face, Jews, (laughs) this Messiah cannot be colonized. You know, and Matthew does something very interesting. He he puts women in a genealogy. If you read Jewish genealogies, you hardly, if ever, see women. But he puts four women. And not only the women, but they are all women with very, very questionable... Oh my goodness. We have the, the Rahab, who is the prostitute. We have Bathsheba, who, you know, the, who is the one who, you know, David had his whole one night. Well, anyway, yeah. he, puts, <laughs> he puts Tamar, yeah, Tamar incest. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you see what he's saying? He says that he, he wants to show us that Messiah did not come from good people to show us that Messiah did not come for, for good people. Good people. He wants to show us that this Messiah is not a chauvinist. It's not only about men. That women are welcome. He wants to show us that it's not only Jews. Mm. That everyone is welcome. So mm. he's expanding their Jewish small mind. Small mindedness. That says only one type of people. Mm. Only one gender. You know. Because Christianity is radically for all. For everyone. Yes. So w- what this should radically transform in your mindset. Is that you are not the woman. You're not the guy. Who should say. There are certain kind of people I don't roll yeah. with. You must be able to relate mm. with all kinds of people. Mm. If you don't have this mindset, your world will be as small as your mind. Hmm. Wow. Your world will be as small as your mind. And for many of you who, to whom God has given a global ministry, mm. you, you can't do global ministry that way. Saying that, that's small thinking. Mm. You can't get ready for annoying people. Mm. <laughs> get ready to accommodate them. One of the things Conan Moyer told me is that, Pastor Phil, there are people who will come into your ministry, accept them with open arms, receive them from your heart. I held that word on, and that word has kept me. So I don't, I don't, as a pastor, you, you don't say, you must have a broad spectrum of people personalities. Mm. As an individual, as a leader, if you're going to go global, if you're going to become any real thing, you must not say to yourself, I don't deal with such kind of people. They talk too much. Mm. No, learn how to deal with people who talk too much. Mm. Learn how to deal with people who are annoying. Mm. Learn how to deal with people who step on your toes. Learn how to handle those kinds of people Mm. because God will grow you that way. Mm. How are you going to grow if you can't deal with those things? Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, uh, so uh, Pastor Dan, uh, about transformation, you know, you talked about in, in view of the mercies of God, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and um, can you shed some light on um, the work of the Spirit when it comes to transformation? You know, in reality, yeah. the only way to be transformed yes, is by the Spirit. Yes, sir. Because... You can do the outside job, yeah. but can you change the inclinations? I really like that that scripture. The yeah, inclinations. The one read. Oh, that's uh, Isaiah. Yeah. Yeah. The inclinations of the heart. Um, let's let's see Second Second uh, Corinthians three eighteen. Yeah. 
Um, we all with open faces, yep. yeah. yeah. And we who with unveiled faces all reflected the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's, it's, it's really spiritual, which is why transformation is not something that we can necessarily work out. Our job is to be radically dependent on the Spirit for transformation. Yes, sir. You know, it, the, you cannot overemphasize the work of the Spirit in transforming us. He must come within us. He must be engaged through spiritual disciplines. He must be prayed to. You know, he must be sought. You know, Pastor Phil, I've learned something recently. Yeah. There was a time in my life when I, I used to say things like, you know, songs like, I want more of you. And, mm-hmm. I mean, we've had conversations about this yeah. where, right. you know, trying to work out that whole difference between position and experience. Right. And there's, there's many men of God in Nigeria who tell us we shouldn't sing those kind of songs anymore or draw me close to you. But there's a very, very big difference between our union with Christ and our communion with Christ. Yes. Wow. You cannot improve on your union with Christ, yes. but you can improve on your communion with Christ. Thank you. Thank you. So if I say I want to be closer to God, ask me what do you mean? Yes. Are you talking about union? No, that's wrong. You are already new. But are you talking about communion? Absolutely. So I can want more. I can even things like chasing after God. If I'm speaking from a place of communion, yeah. And so um I think that in our pursuing of spiritual disciplines, we have to be so deep. We have to pray God do the inside job. Yes. Because it is not what I do. You know, it is from the spirit. Yeah. You know, we need to be pursuing spiritual disciplines. Yeah. And you know, sometimes in our grace circles, words like pursue or fight, yeah. we can color them yeah, or label you know, we, we give them a wrong name, but we have to be yeah. very balanced in our theology. Absolutely. That there is positional truth and there's and experiential truth. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. So, so recently I've had liberty in my spirit to sing things like I'm chasing after you. Yeah. Uh, I need you. Yeah. I want more of you. There's, there's be a time when I'll be afraid to sing those songs. Mm. I was, I was so glad when I heard time you singing. Into the altar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's an extreme. Okay, so. <laughs> so it's an inside joke. I have I have a fr- I have a cousin who wrote a song called "Tie Me to the Altar." I don't care if I scream. Tie me to the altar till I fulfill your dream. It rhymes. <laughs> and but Pastor Phil really made fun of that song. So every time I recorded the song, by the way, <laughs> I didn't write it, but I recorded it. But every time, um, <laughs> every time the line. Time me to the altar will come up. Pastor Phil will say, "Man, <laughs> <laughs> that's the place where I feature in the song." So when Dan goes like this, "Time me to the altar," Man. yeah, that's where I come in. <laughs> I don't care. If I, I, did you know, scream. I was in Kaduna some uh, some weeks ago, right? <laughs> so I came to see Dan. Yeah. So we're talking about. Uh, the song Dan has a goat in his house by the way <laughs> two so, two goats yeah in fact when my, when my father came my father said Dan is this your goat <laughs> so while we're talking about the song the goat just started really just started revving the, the goat did it was so like it was so perfect like, moment like we're talking about 
time it to the altar. The, the ghost, ghost was in the spirit. Right. <laughs> it's been transformed. <laughs> wow. So, all that to say, you know, um, we do our, because here's what he's saying, that we, we, with unveiled faces, we behold in a glass the glory of God. Yeah. So we become what we behold. Yeah. 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 We become what we behold. We we look into the word of God. We we study. You know, I I often say the great secret of the Christian faith is no secret at all. Read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. It is very simple. It's it's an open secret. You know, sometimes we we try to make things very complicated, but the Christian life is easy. You know. It is with unveiled faces, beholding us in the glass, the glory of God. And that phrase, the glory of God, is specifically speaking about the gospel. Because it's one thing to read the Bible and come out condemned, yeah. come out you know, broken. But when he says the glory of God, because if you read in the next chapter, next, he says that the God of this world has blinded their eyes and did not see the glory of the gospel. So we see the glory of God primarily in the gospel. You know, don't, don't just read your Bible, look for Jesus. Because the Bible is not just a book, it's a person. And so it's not just a book we read, we're communing with a person. So when you read your Bible, look for Jesus. Look for his heart, look for his character, look for his person. You know, the more time I've spent with Pastor Phil, the more I've started to sound like him. You know, the more time I spend with Ideal, the more I start to behave like him. It's the same. It's a relational thing that we are communing with God. We are growing in communion. To be radical about knowing the truth of the scripture. Be radical about prayer. Be radical about even saying, do you know there was a time because of grace, I was like, "Mm, this fasting, you know, I'm not sure about, (laughs) I'm not sure about fasting. Fast. It is not, it is not to earn anything. Because we have to put, the, we have to understand the gospel that in our pursuing, in our fighting, we are not trying to earn. It's like I'm married already. Okay, I'm not quite married yet, but I'll be married soon. <laughs> that's not an analogy. That's for real. That's for real. That's for real. <laughs> so, in a, in a marriage, um, you don't try to get to know your spouse in order to be married, but you're already married. You grow. You want to know them more More. because you are married. It's the same. When we study scripture, we're not trying to get God to love us. We're not trying to win his attention. But God already loves me. I want to know more about my lover. I want to know more about my friend. Wow. When you love somebody, nobody has to tell you. You stay up all night. Yeah. You go to work tired because you are speaking all night there's just a a very it's organic you know you just want to be in their presence you know that's that's how we see transformation and so we are radically looking for jesus in the word and we are leaning on the spirit trusting him praying holy spirit make this word come alive in my spirit you know because it's one thing to have truth here and it's one thing to have truth here when paul prays in um ephesians 3 um he says that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Huh? Mm. But they are believers. Mm. They can't be believers if Christ doesn't dwell in their heart. Mm. So what's he praying for? Mm. He's praying for a 
deeper stamping Spirit, of yeah. Christ in their hearts. He mm. prays that they will know the love of God. Of course, yeah. they already know the love of God, mm-hmm. but he's praying for something deeper. He's yeah. praying for something deeper. Yeah. I want more. I want more. Yeah. That's how we see transformation. We pray that the Holy Spirit brings the truth of God's word and makes it alive in our spirit. You know, it's one thing to read God loves you, but it's one thing to know God loves me. That radically transforms how you act. That it radically transforms how you think, you know. So we need that work of the Spirit. We can't do it without oh, the Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Can we put our hands together? You know, <coughs> Pastor Dan, yeah. back in the days when our parents used to tell us about um, uh, the born-again experience, mm. we actually saw physical, behavioral, mm-hmm. radical changes in the lives of new converts. Right. Uh, I don't know if you've had believing, I mean, if you have believing parents or aunties who got born again in the 80s, in the 90s, early 90s, 80s, we could, we could see radical transformation, evidential right. change. But today when people say, I am born again, mm. it has to be stamped by <laughs> it has to it would only show by the fact that you come to church mm. and if you're not in church we don't know mm. you know so so uh, the essence of this is that we are in constant pursuit to be hungry mm. to be transformed mm. and every one of us must be in that place mm. because if not you will find yourself stuck in the position mm. When you are supposed to have gone through a process, you truncate your process, mm. and God keeps bringing um, experiences your way mm. so that you can grow. But rather than facing the experience, you shy away from the experience. Mm. Another type of challenge will come that is the same thing as the other to teaching you the same thing. So it is. It is, now is the time to grow mm. because I don't believe you can't change. Mm. I don't believe that. I don't believe you cannot be transformed. I don't believe that. Um, there is what we call your biological time clock. You know when it's time to go to bed. You know when it's time to wake up. And also, hunger, physical hunger, is a mechanism set in your system to tell you that you're short of glucose. So you need to eat. You begin to feel hungry. Now that hunger, if, if someone doesn't feel hungry... That person is not healthy. Yeah? That person is not healthy because uh, you need that sense of hunger to mm-hmm. know it's time to eat. Come on. There's what we call anorexia bulimia. Mm-hmm. For, a, for, for a lady who has a picture in her mind mm-hmm. to keep a certain shape. Mm-hmm. So she has beaten the hunger mechanism right. and she starves herself and she begins to get ulcer. Now, that's the same way it is spiritually that if you choose not to be hungry, you can be stuck. So you can be um, a 20-year-old Christian, especially when you're feeling forms. But you can be a two-month-old matured Christian. Just like people grow up chronologically but are emotionally babies. You can have someone who is 30 years old but he's two years emotionally. 
And that's the, it's the reason why this series is on, so that your transformation is evident to everybody. Yeah. If you're not a patient person, you will become a patient person. If you're not a loving person, you will grow and learn how to love people whom you naturally are not disposed to love. Mm, yeah. So can we finally just look through um, um, the fruits of the Spirit? Mm. Because this is, this is the sum total of what we say the Christ-like life yeah. is. Because the aim of this teaching is that everybody here becomes Christ-like. Amen. Alright? If you used to flare up at just anything, that will reduce. Amen. Until he fades away. Amen. All the other names fade away. Amen. I used to I used to be an angry child, Pastor mm. Dan. My father used me as an example in church wow. to show you how my anger was on the roof. Wow. I used to be very. Uh, my brother is here. I mean, I had real anger issues, you know. But if I say that now, many of you like can that. reconcile that Pastor Phil, at one point in his life, had anger issues. I was just angry for no reason. I was just angry for no reason. There was a day I was so angry I took a hot iron and burnt my sister's face. Wow. Yeah, and the scar was there. But the good thing is that it cleared off. Amen. Don't look at me bad. God has forgiven me of my <laughs> sins. Amen. So I used to be I used to I, I used to have a quick hmm. I was short fused. I used to have a quick temper. In fact, at some point, if I don't smile, my friends were scared of me. Because of the way my eyes were and my squeezed face can be. Hmm. So I now had to learn while I, w- I was in school and it, it, my 100, 100 level, one lady walked up to me and said, do you know that when you don't smile, you look angry? That, that thing she said changed my life. Wow. From that day, I decided to smile anytime I walked to fellowship. So immediately I sat down in fellowship, I'll just be smiling. <laughs> Whether there is anything funny or there is nothing funny. Because I was trying to change something. There are some of you, you are, you naturally look in a certain way that can give off vibes. Hmm. Alright? One of the ways to counter that communication is from how you even talk. See, there's a way I look. I don't look like a pastor. If I don't wear tie, if I don't wear suit, I don't look like a pastor. It's just because you guys know me. Right. So when people see me and they say, this one, a pastor, I'm very used to it. Uh-huh. I was in the hospital one day, Pastor Dan, I wanted to treat a lady. And she said, where's the doctor? Is this the doctor? And I was wearing t-shirts. She looked at me and said, Tack. <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand? So I don't look like a pastor. But I knew that the only way to counter that communication is for my speech to be seasoned with salt. salt. Come on. So what did I do? I started to train myself how to talk. So when I speak to you, you forget how I look, and there is something else that comes upon you. Come on. Some of you are very beautiful, attractive. When guys come to meet you, to approach you, and to chike you, yeah, there is a response. It's just one response. It's not a feisty response. There is a response of the spirit and the character of God Mm. that makes them know the breed you are of. Mm. I know if I'm communicating here. You you might look like a bad boy. Ask Pastor Naughty. Pastor Naughty is a rapper. Mm. Pastor Naughty, he doesn't dress like a pastor. (laughs) 
But the moment he starts talking to you, mm. ask person naughty. The moment he starts talking to you, by the way, that naughty is not an A double. It's seed kind of naughty, yeah. The moment he starts talking to you, you begin to see the breed of the person this man is. So you can counter your communication. You can you can counter your miscommunication by the way you speak. Mm. Praise God. So good. So this is very important, and we all must go through transformation. Mm. Amen. That when you speak, I can detect you of Christ. Mm. You don't need to. You don't need to say two long sentences. The, your first line it just shows the manner of lady you are, the manner of man you are. Praise God. So let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. It says, but the fruit of yourself. Mm, the Spirit. Uh, the fruit of yourself. No, the Spirit. Pastor Dan, let me let you take over from here. I, I want us to notice two things about the word fruit. Um, when Paul is speaking about the flesh, he speaks about the works of the flesh. But when he's speaking about the Spirit, he speaks about the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, it is the byproduct of the Spirit. So this is not, these things here are not things that we necessarily work out. They are things that the Spirit works out in us, you know, that we work out what He's working in us. But another thing that we have to notice, you know, fruit takes time. You don't plant a seed and fruit comes tomorrow. So I'm saying that to say this work of transformation is a process. Okay, because you can hear everything we're saying now and, you know, think it will happen overnight. We're more concerned about your direction. We're very concerned about the direction you are going. There's a striving. But realize that you're not going to go from anger issues today to tomorrow and no longer get angry. So sanctification is not about perfection. Yeah. It is about progression. progression. That we are becoming more and more. And so that two years from now, you will look back and say, wow, I used to be this way. But now, look what God has done for me. And then, two years after that, you would laugh at what you thought was growth. Mm. From glory to, to glory. glory. And so, we will always be going through this transformation. And that's why Paul is deliberate about using fruit. That this is something that... You know, the seed of the Spirit is in you already. Remember, identity. Yeah. Don't miss that. Yeah. You do not de- develop the fruit to get the Spirit. No. You have the Spirit, and He produces the fruits. So this happens over time. You know, we all with open faces beholding us in the glass, the glory of the Lord are being changed into the same image from glory to glory. That, that I should look back on my life and say, I used to be angry. But now, look what God is doing in me. So, the fruit of the Spirit is love. love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You know, another thing that, and this is why we need the Holy Spirit. It, it is not a case of you can pick and choose from this list. <laughs> that means you pick joy and uh, self-control. But that gentleness, you just live on. It is such that the believer is all these things at the same time. So that you are joyful and long-suffering at the same time. The same you see, time. if you have long-suffering without joy, then you can go through difficult experiences, but you're not happy. Yeah. 
Mm. And when people come around you, you give off a negative vibe. Mm. But if you're long-suffering mm. and then you have joy, joy, you can go through difficult things mm. and still exude the joy of God. So, this fruit of the Spirit is not a, it's not beans. It's not that, you know, I just decide, I am going to have joy. I'm going to have joy. Mm. It's, it's, you must have love and have joy and have peace and have long-suffering and have kindness and have all those things. How long is long-suffering? <laughs> it's very long. <laughs> So, so again, I think that that's, that's the point that Paul is trying to make in Galatians. This church had tried to return to works. Yeah. And he's saying, listen, you, you want to do it by the law. It's impossible. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. Because only the Holy Spirit can produce. Some of these things come naturally to some people. Yeah. There are some of us who are just naturally yeah. let joyful. Me, let me come in here. Go ahead. That's why I said to um, all of you that there's a difference between... Mm your natural disposition mm. to have the the um, likeness of some of this but does not necessarily make it a fruit of the spirit mm. so the fact that you are a naturally happy person mm. doesn't mean you have this fruit of the spirit of joy right yeah the fact that you are a naturally patient person yeah. doesn't mean you have the fruit of the spirit of patience mm. So that's why I said to you that niceness is not a fruit of the spirit. Mm. That you can be a nice guy mm. and be an immature believer. Mm. All right. Yeah. So the fruit of the spirit is something that must grow regardless of whether you are nice mm. or whether you are not nice. Mm. Because there is the color of the type that is of the spirit that your natural tendency can never give off mm. so um, I am naturally calm but doesn't mean I have self control right because when some things show mm. yeah it my my natural tendency for be, I'm naturally a calm person mm. naturally I am a naturally calm person but I have I have seen the, the fruit of the spirit grow in me that self-control is what is showing up, not my calmness. Mm. Because I know when I come to my wit end, mm. I can tell myself that this is not me. This is the work of the Spirit. For some of you, you would, you would be put in situations where you have to love someone you shouldn't love. So your niceness, it will go beyond your niceness. Mm. That's right. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Amen. amen. So, so passive that, yes. Um, and, he, and he says at the end there that against such there is no There's law. law. Yeah. Um, you see, if you put your attention on loving people, on love, you automatically fulfill the law. That's why he says elsewhere that the whole law is summarized in, in you know, love. And so I think Paul's point is, is it, don't be so bothered about the particulars of the do's and don'ts focus on the love God has for you and focus on how and let that love transform you so that you learn to love people and you know if you if you decide by the help of the spirit yep. listen to my my terminology is very important not just decide but by the help of the spirit to walk in love 
you'll get to a point where you're no more worried about the rules and the regulations, the do's and the don'ts. Thou shalt not and that. Because when you walk by love, he says, when you do these things, there's no law. I've never seen any country that outlawed gentleness. I've never seen any relationship die from goodness and faithfulness. You know, so that we we should be. I think sometimes we our natural tendencies we like rules. Just tell me, you know, what to do or what not to do. And God wants you to mature to a place where... Yeah. Remember what the Bible says, the law, He will write the law in your, heart. in your heart, in your mind. And nobody will have to teach you, yeah. you know, say do this or do that. Because, you know, you've been so radically transformed by the Spirit of God, walking in love, that you're not bogged down about, you know, the yeah. do's and don'ts. You just, you, the law is written in you and you naturally reflect the ideals of God. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that's the kind of place where we all want to get to. Where our um, Bishop Bob used to say that spiritual maturity is the extent to which your reflex reactions reflect Christ. Spiritual maturity is the extent to which your reflex reactions wow. reflect Christ. You know, so that scriptures like turn the other cheek become my reality. You know, people really? are always looking for ways. <laughs> really? Yeah. I didn't listen to it. People are always like, you know, that scripture doesn't really mean turn the other cheek, you know, it's figurative. No, my brother. <laughs> Nari slap. Nari slap. So that we become, you know, and this is where we all want to get to. Amen. That, that when we are reviled, we do not, that's what the mind of Christ is. It is reflecting the character of Christ in our daily walk. That when I am persecuted, I do not persecute. When I am cursed, I do not curse. That, that I become so like Christ that people can say to me, if you are the son of God, come down from this cross and blah, blah, blah. And I just stay there. Because I, you, when you know who you are, you don't have to prove a point to anybody. You know, Jesus just stayed on the cross. and I am the son of God. So, um, yeah. Can we celebrate Pastor Dan? Amen. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. And for more information about the Standpoint Church, visit our social media platform on www.facebook.com slash standpointabj, twitter.com slash standpointabj, instagram.com slash standpointabj, and on soundcloud.com slash standpointabj.